Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. This is the Fulhamish podcast, your regular Fulham FC audio fix. My name is Sammy James and today we have so much to discuss as Fulham hit Burton for six on Saturday, a memorable afternoon at the cottage. And how's that for a lineup? Opening the batting, it's Ben Jarman. Good evening. The king of spin, Jack Collins. Ah, oh, hello listeners. And our very own silly mid-on, Farrell Monk. <laughs> good evening, lovely introduction. Yeah, that was good, Sam. Well done. Thank you very, very much. Well, loads to get through tonight. Uh, big assessment uh, of the brilliant, brilliant victory over Burton Albion. And we've got to discuss the signing of the day, Fulham purchasing Matt Target on loan from Southampton. It's obviously the big one. We've all seen the reveal video and it's uh, it's very exciting indeed. Time's down at Motspur Park. Yeah, 100%. You know, everyone knows that there's been lots happening in this transfer window, you know, big deals going on all over the place, but this is pretty much takes the biscuit for me. Exactly. Right, so um, we need to do some three-word reviews before we get into Burton. So, Jack... What's coming in? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up, give it a give it a spin as as you say. And, oh yeah, and, and then flick it to Facebook this week where we got we got some excellent responses. So so that was good. Mia Cutler said no strikers needed, which I thought was probably quite good. Sam Diamonds Burton every week. Hmm. Phil Donnelly <laughs> now Wembley bound. Paul Angers eight off second, uh, and Matt O'Donnell don't underestimate anyone. Well. Uh- Burton every week as long as it's at Craven Cottage, not at the Pirelli. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of the the output we we were looking for. Right, just to say that Fulhamish this season is backed by Ladbrokes. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, gets £20. The deal has not changed. This means if you deposit a fiver, Ladbrokes will add another 20 quid to your account. You can get this offer by following the link at bets.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, it was an unbelievable demolition of lowly Burton Albion at the cottage. A 6-0 victory, which was fully deserved, as was the dominance of Fulham on Saturday afternoon. Uh, ben, Fulham made a blistering start and once we had the lead we spoke about the importance of the first goal it never really looked in doubt not at all we we started really positively i thought we got into our rhythm nice and early and we we found passes that we should have found nice and early to keep the confidence up and obviously to then work away at burton's confidence and their energy levels but we passed the ball from side to side particularly well we had a really nice structure and a nice build up uh, in in all facets of our play and i thought Overall, the selection of, of Piazon was, was fantastic, as with Rui Font as well. Um, I thought we needed those players that were going to play in tight areas. And I particularly liked the selection of Piazon because he was able to drift wide, but also find those spaces uh, in the centre and in the channels of the pitch. And uh, his touch for the first goal was just sublime. Farrell, what did you make of Slav's lineup? Uh, Font given a start up top, quite surprising, given cameras recent form but it was a brilliant call from Slav could it be the boost that Rui Font has been looking for absolutely and I don't think that he played necessarily any better than he has done uh, so far to date uh, I thought Rui Font was full of running he uh, ran the channels really well He his interplay was really good uh, he was very hard working up top uh, he won countless tackles in the midfield um, and I think his all round play was really good but that said it wasn't a particularly sparkling performance but then again I thought the whole team played really well and you know everyone played it equally as as good. So and the one the one huge boost for us though I would say is the return to form of Lucas Piazon because I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he played on the right wing on, on Saturday Jack. I was quite surprised to see Shea Ojo not in the lineup. Not the one that we expected um to be missing from the starting lineup, but Lucas did brilliantly in his place. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, Shea Ojo was, was out of the squad for whatever reason. He said he was disappointed to have missed the game on, on social media. So whether that was through some sort of injury or, or just from, you know, pure, you know, dr- dropping by, by the manager, then that's different. But it's, it's one of those ones where Lucas, in that, we said bef- yeah, before the game that the midfield three lacks a kind of playmaker in the shape of, of, of Tom Kearney and it really lacked someone it, when those three have played together they do fine and they they, they obviously are a very good base and, and they don't necessarily you know do anything wrong but they're not as dynamic without Kearney what the lack of a 10 allowed was Lucas to drift off the wing and to cut inside and then to link up beautifully with Font and with Sess on the other wing who we obviously know is kind of more of a poacher figure if you will um, than, than a natural wide man it 
allowed Font to link up with the two wingers in a way that we haven't seen this season because he had people closer to him than he's had before and sort of Lucas drifting off that wing and cutting inside allowed for some absolutely significant interplay which was you know really really opened them up in terms of especially in terms of the second goal um, it's the interplay in the middle which really opens up Burton and allows a space for Fredericks to get out wide and in, in that regard having that kind of striker with you know, inverted wingers, if you will, almost. Um, it, it really does help Rui Font's kind of striker to, to thrive uh, in a way that it wouldn't with camera because camera thrives off the ball going almost over the top uh, and, and really stretching play in that regard. Whereas with Font there holding the ball up and, and allowing it to release, it allows the fullbacks to get round the, up round the outside and it allows us to put more people into the box. Uh, and you saw that with things like Steph's two shots that were, you know, uh, deflected for for, for Sessignon's two goals and, and that kind of tactical change from Slav is what really adapted the game to Rui Font's style and what made him far more involved than he has been in recent weeks where he's looked he's been making those runs but has looked kind of missing in terms of the ball never seems to find him but when he drops deep into that role and with Lucas on his on his right hand side he looks like he's a different kind of player um, Ben Fulham have now scored 46 goals in the division this year. Only Wolves with 50 have more. There's goals all around this team and that's a brilliant prospect for Fulham fans because, I mean, Sessegnon's the top scorer with with nine uh, and below that, I, I actually don't know who's who's next. Maybe Camera with, with the five or six that he's got. Mm. So it's very exciting that whoever Slav picks in the attacking positions at the moment is likely to get on the score sheet and can contribute rather than just relying on one, maybe two players to get all your goals. I think there's definitely been uh, a point where we're beginning to click now, especially when we're going forward. It's clear that we've we've sort of found what we've been missing in terms of the cohesiveness of that front three. I feel like Jack said there that the inclusion of Piazon and, and his link-up play with, with Fonte is going to help us long-term. I also feel that a couple more players in positions that are slightly further back have really started to understand their role within this system now um, I feel like Norwood is contributing more and more he understands when to release fullbacks and when not to um, I thought he had a he had a great game um, against Burton specifically because if, if we look at something in isolation was that Kevin McDonald dropped back to form part of a back three allowing the fullbacks to bomb on and then it gave Norwood all the time and space in the world to act as the quarterback that we basically spoke about um, when we played Ipswich Town gave him a lot of space gave him a lot of time to pick his passes and it gave him time to release players in dangerous positions and one thing that we took a lot of advantage of and we have been taking advantage of over the past three weeks or four weeks is um, that space in between a winger and a fullback that's one of the most dangerous places on the football pitch and we're now learning to exploit it which is where a number of our goals are coming from in those wide areas again. Like it was nice. It was nice to see. I literally said it to my dad about ten minutes before it happened. The the second goal, and it was Fredericks getting into a wide position, getting advanced, yep. pulling it back, and there was a Fulham midfielder arriving late and scored. We scored so many of our goals yeah. from that particular play last season, and we've re- not really seen it at all this year. So it's nice to have it back in play. And yeah, five minutes after I called it, so it's almost like um, me and Slava telepathic. Well, one one what's quite the, the frustrating thing a little a little bit was like before the first or second goal came, we had it in a good position at that that particular point to. Uh, quite a few times but every single of the crosses went straight to a, a yellow player it was as if you know the fullbacks weren't actually looking up to see who was in the box so a lot of the, the crosses were very aimless and wasted mm. eventually though it you know the first one came and then it was just like the floodgates open with, with that particular move and it did really work work really well um, you know I'm, I'm sort of pulling at small little threads here I mean it was an excellent performance all round and in particular you mentioned Norwood um, just now he he a couple of weeks ago against South Southampton when it was one of the worst performances I've seen and nothing was going right for him. Whereas on Saturday, everything was going right for him. Every single Hollywood pass that he loves to do was was coming off. Yeah. Um. And I don't know, you know, if there was anything different that we did. I think obviously Burton played into our hands quite a lot, particularly uh, the tactical I don't know decision by Nigel Clough to keep doubling up on our wingers, which gave our uh, fullbacks so much time and space to to exploit the space that is it was just laughable really I think there's uh, there's there's two points there the first is that the, the one you rightly make is that they did double up on our wingers and 
there was some unreal combination play in in, in the middle there, especially between McDonald, Norwood, and uh, Johansson, and then obviously with Lucas Piazon drifting in off off the fullback as well. That really had a, a really nice tight diamond in the middle that we we managed to pass around their two or three man midfield, and then. On your point about Norwood, I think Southampton shot him down quite well. And when Norwood doesn't have too much time, it's it's very hard. To, well, it's very easy, sorry, to ruffle his feathers and to to take away his composure. Burton this week just gave him way too much time. And with a guy that is capable of finding a good pass, it's it's absolutely you should never do it. Yeah, it was it was actually a joy to watch. Yeah. Jack, let's come on to Burton here because, yes, I think that was one of our best performances of the season. I don't think that can be denied. But Burton were so poor. Do we need to put this result into a little bit of context? Yeah, always. And also, it's one result. There's, you know, one swallow does not a summer make, as they say. It's a good result. And, in fact, it is a very good result. And it was I was more pleased with the performance than I was about the result. I... You know, it, it it could have been one nil, but if we'd still played like that, I would have been reasonably comfortable with it because we were so dominant and we created chances. And obviously, it's good to see them put away, and obviously that does affect the kind of performance it is. But ultimately, just the way we created and the way that we linked and the way that we clicked really did hammer home to me that this could be, you know, a really really important point in our season. And I spent the last week banging on about how these four games are absolutely crucial for us getting into form, not in terms of results, but in terms of performances for the for the big games ahead. And I think that that if Fulham now continue to play the way that they are, then we shouldn't fear anybody. Yeah, exactly. One down, three to go uh, for your four-game runway, as you spoke about earlier in the week. Indeed. Second half, I think Fulham continued their good play. Early points of the uh, of the second period, I was we were kind of resting on our laurels a little bit. We were three 0 up. We weren't really forcing the game. We were just waiting for pockets of space to open. And as the game went on, Farrell. Burton began to tire as you would after chasing shadows for best parts of 60 minutes and then Sessegnon grabs a couple of goals they're such poachers finishes yeah. and Jack's early, early was on TalkSport 2 talking about you know the quality that Ryan Sessegnon possesses for me the fact that he scored nine goals all of them inside the box he spent 71% of his playing time this season at left back got to credit Frankie Taylor with that uh, brilliant fact it's genuinely incredible how he's doing this year? Yeah, it's it is it's remarkable. It's he's going from strength to strength. You know, earlier on in the season, we we were saying, oh, maybe it's time to rest uh, Ryan, but we were totally wrong about that. He's just powering on. And I remember listening to um, Jim and Jamie, uh, whatever game it was, I can't remember, but they they were talking about Ryan Sessegnon and how he potentially is the best finisher in the at the club. And I would, you know, considering if you look at all their goals, they're all good composed finishes. You know, they're not just complete wellies or anything like that they are very nicely neatly done and he very rarely misses a chance misses a good opportunity but you know he's a joy to watch it's a joy that he's he's even being played played for this club and I think you know wherever his his career ends up whether it's Fulham or otherwise I think people will look at the Fulham Academy and applaud the absolutely crazy thing about this is that I think it's very difficult to forget that he's still 17 years old mm. and to have the perception of the game and the, the reading and the understanding and uh, and a deep understanding of that as well of the, of the phases and the sequences in the game and where to be and where not to be at the correct time, especially in an attacking sense for someone that young. Is absolutely mind blowing that you think. But if you think about his, his technical ability, that's also top class as well. And yes, people complain he's not particularly the best left back, but that will come with experience. But the fact that he can read the game, he can be in the right positions, like anything along the, of that ilk, just proves how good a player he is now and how good he can be in the future. Because fundamentally, being good at football is, is reading the game and having a fantastic technique. Everything else is adaptable. Ryan has all the core there that you could want and more. He just doesn't rely on the things that normally teenagers rely on. And I think Wayne Rooney was in that category. But, you know, you look at your Walcotts and even your Bales to an extent. Bale changed his game and obviously became the world-class player that he is today. But at 17, relied on his pace. Ryan doesn't rely on it. No, not entirely. If you if you make a direct comparison to someone in our squad that plays relatively the same position, it's Ryan Fredericks. Ryan Fredericks, not the best offensively, but makes up for it hugely because he can be quite physical and has absolutely blistering pace. Ryan doesn't need, as you say, doesn't need 
to write on his pace. He uses his pace in the right ways to find space, to find areas, to give himself a chance to win the ball fairly, a chance to receive the ball in a good position and a chance to get in the box. And as you say, all but one of his goals has come from in the box this year. And, and it shows that his attacking nous and his attacking ability and his understanding of the game just deepens week on week and I think Slav is, is the best coach for that because he is a hands-on coach and he's a one that understands sequences of play and wants to play football in the right way I think if he was under a different coach his um, rise to fame shall we say or like his development as a player wouldn't be as high of course I forgot I think he may have scored one outside the box against, uh, against Sheffield United, United. Yeah, and it was on his right a, foot yeah what a goal that was though um it was good to see Jack on Saturday, Tom Kearney uh, making a brief return in the second half. Um, my dad said to me at the time, well, why are we risking Kearney? We're 4-0 up. But I actually thought it was fairly sensible. Burton weren't really pressing us. They weren't putting in rough physical challenges, which is quite surprising because that's normally what a team does when they get frustrated. But they'd, almost, they'd long past given up. I thought it was quite sensible to give Kearney a good run out of 20 minutes. He was impressive and was involved in the brilliant play for Cameron's goal which was our sixth yeah he's imperious when he's on form and it was nice to just give him sort of easy minutes in the middle where he you know didn't really face any challenges and he just sort of ambled about and passed the ball well and he did look a little bit off the pace which is obviously you know expected given his, his layoff and yeah, I, I was the same. I, I thought, I thought, why were we risking him? But actually, in, in, in hindsight, probably quite a smart move. And you know, I've been critical of Slavsko's substitutions this year, and, and that was a good one. So, and so was Camera. So, so fair play to him in that in that kind of respect. Um, it was. I felt a bit sorry for Ollie Norwood going off. I thought he had a good game, and he maybe deserved to, to play the full ninety. But you know, someone someone had to make way. Um, and I suppose Steph nearly getting on the score sheet would have justified a kind of return to confidence for him as well. So. In that regard, it was very well managed. As Kenny is a very special player, and we we did well in his absence, uh, and and Lucas did more than make up for it in, in some respects. But obviously, we're going to need a fit Tom Kenny if we are going to mount a charge at these playoffs, and it, it really does worry me a little bit about what the fact that we can't find out what's wrong with his knee, and if it's the same problem that's reoccurred here, then it, it doesn't bode well. But if we're going to just try and do what we did last time and just sort of basically force his way back through the injury, then then that's what we've got to do because I suppose he that kind of fitness is going to be so crucial going into the, the the five games after these after the four game runway, if you will, those five games which are all six pointers for the playoffs. Tom Kearney is going to be crucial to unlocking those teams that are better quality than Burton Albion. His pass for Cameron's goal is sensational. Sensational. Indeed. And then Cameron's composure. I mean, the boy's got so much <laughs> confidence. I just, you remember some of his finishing from early in the season. I remember there was the one that always stood out for me. It was against Middlesbrough. I know he then went on to score about five minutes later, but he was played through into the box, one on one, a very similar position at the Hammersmith end to the one he was in, at, at the Putney end on Saturday. Blasted it and it nearly hit me in row F. But, yeah. but this Saturday it's just it's amazing what a little bit of confidence can do and Camera is enjoying the wave of it right now uh, he's, his finishing has been absolutely brilliant the last few weeks and my, my recollection of him is that Cardiff game you know where he, he made his debut and he took it around one player stopped the ball waited for the keeper to go down looked almost certain to score and lashed it into yeah. the side netting I don't know if you remember that one and we all we all raved about how good he was in the build-up to that, but then obviously how bad the finish was. Do you remember our conversation in the in the rocket about Tom Kenny's knee? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, we, me and Sammy. Well, it's mainly me has a really harebrained theory that um, Tom Kenny has injured his knee by doing so many um, sliding celebrations last year. Now, don't laugh. It's because. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when he done the knee slide in the Champions League final, um, injured his knee and he could never get back to full fitness because of it. And Tom Kearney done so many slide knee slides last year, he could easily have tweaked it then. <laughs> this this literally is... I think we're on to something here, Sam. I... I I do see the sense, but also, as I said to you, <laughs> he gets chopped down 15 times a game yeah. by championship midfielders. You know, there's many a Grant Ledbetter in this division <laughs> chomping at his knees. So many I feel like. Carl Henry. Yeah, I feel like that's the more likely Don't explanation. Don't swear but. on the podcast. <laughs> 
If TC can clear it up, though, if it is the knee slides, and uh, I think we all owe Ben Jarman a pint. One final point I wanted to make, you mentioned uh, Steph Joe and uh, kind of Sessignon almost like nicks two goals off his shots. For the second one, you should just look at Steph Joe's reaction. Just sort of like, a, my God, he's done it again. Yeah. Just like <laughs> r- waves his hands into the air as Sessignon wheels off in celebration. Well, it was a brilliant game on Saturday. What do we do moving forward? Um, I think we've obviously found some new interesting options uh, I think the return of Rui Font and the Hammersmith end chanting Rui, 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 who expected that a few weeks ago, Me. gives us another option um, in attack. Obviously, the return to form of Lucas Piazon. He's got so many options. What's what's Slav going to go for in the next few weeks? Don't know. Well, I, I personally wouldn't know the, the solution because we've got a huge few games coming up. We've got uh, a Middlesbrough who have just... No, sorry, we've got a Forest who have just swept uh, Wolves at home with a, with a new manager who knows the division well. He's, he's very uh, defensively minded and could drill a team. We've got Barnsley, who um, who have players that, that can cause you a danger. Um, and then after that, we've got Wolves themselves and, and someone who I'm quite frightened of in Aston Villa. Obviously, the return to form of Lucas and the inclusion in the squad is great. The fact that Fonte is now seemingly off the mark, albeit against a very easy opponent, is also good news, but it'd be nice to see how he gets on in the future. But the squad is inflating now. What I'm, what I'm, especially going forward, um, what I'm worried about now is a lack of cover at centre back. Because yeah. if if we pick up an injury to Reem, who again, although be it barely troubled this weekend, looked imperious again, um, and say we like lost Callas, then there's literally no one apart from Jallo and Adoy. Adoy. Yeah. Like we are very, very, very sparse at, at, at in defence, but obviously Matt Target now signing is a is a good plus. Um, but we need at least two more centre defenders. We'll come on to Matty Target in a little bit. Just want to get a quick round table opinion. Was that the best Fulham performance this season? Starting off with you, Jack. Uh, no, I think Cardiff away probably still. Uh, Farrell? I was going to go for Cardiff, but I think uh, Ipswich away was probably our uh, best. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I still think Ipswich away had something more about it. But I think, I I think, think Saturday uh, was close. Ipswich at the time were second. First. The, first, they were first. Oh, they the might time. have enjoyed because I think Cardiff and Ipswich both had yeah. 100% of the time. Obviously, we know that it would flattered them massively, but I mean, they were on such amazing form um, and just totally destroyed them as if they'd never played football before. And Ben? Ipswich away is definitely my favourite performance this season. We we could have beaten anyone on that day. We were so good. And looking at the league now, uh, there's been a bit of talk, and myself included, I got a bit caught up when I was doing the thing for uh, Channel 5 uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, everyone's kind of whispering the automatics. There's eight points between ourselves and Derby, who obviously dropped uh, a couple of points. Uh, but we're still not inside the playoffs for me although I got caught up in it on Saturday I can admit that it seems a little bit premature to really be thinking about that surely we need to get the playoffs sealed before we even start talking or thinking about or dreaming about the automatics I think there's something to be said in the fact that I don't think an 8 point swing is that large what I think about is the fact that there's 5 teams between us yeah. and that that you know all of those we'd have we'd need a lot of teams to drop points in order to us to to slide into that place it's not impossible it's extremely unlikely but you know the, it's going to all come down to that run of fixtures we have now but where we play every single one of those teams pretty much if we can beat every single one of those teams which is you know unlikely at this level but not impossible um you know maybe wolves aside if we can go and beat derby and villa and and sheffield united and all them then we're going to we're going to move up places in the table because they're going to be dropping points while we're gaining them but it's still going to need other teams to drop more points than we gain and even if we beat derby they'd still you know they still be 5 points ahead of us and in a prime position to to capitalize and as good as saturday was Farrell, there's still a lot of teams in it. You know, Brentford picked up another win. Yeah. They're only a couple of points behind and are playing really, really well. Obviously, Leeds had an incredible device against Millwall, which uh, I loved. I think that was that that topped off my afternoon when the Hammersmith end chanted Leeds are falling apart again. And that was the way I actually found out that Millwall had scored two last minute goals. Um, but Sheffield United picked up a brilliant win at uh, Inform Norwich. There's a lot of teams doing very good stuff. And Middlesbrough picked up a big win as well. This is going to be such a race to the finish well uh, this kind of harks back to what Jokanovic said towards the end of last season when we were starting to pick up points 
and we're, it looked as if we were going to get make the playoffs. And he was he was like, look, I'm going to keep your feet on the ground here, basically, because we are obviously picking up points. But the hard work, we still there's a lot of hard work to do. We can certainly beat the playoffs, but there are there are four or five other teams who think the same thing as well. So we can't. But, you know, the thing we have to do is not rely on these other teams. We have to focus on our own performances and hope that other teams around us drop points. What we need to hope for, I guess, is that teams start falling away that mm. are near us and you just kind of have to pick them off one by one. I'd like to think that maybe Preston have now kind of were, you know, were yeah. challenging for the playoffs and now had a few poor results in a row and I guess it's just who's to go next and you just hope that it's never us. I hope there that... are a couple of teams in there who you, you definitely think that could could drop out. I think Cardiff is one of them. Their results are sliding slightly. Bristol City have got a very small squad and they're looking a bit tired. So that, that it could happen to them. I feel like they're in the same position as we were last year, just after Christmas, looking knackered. Very small squad could go either way. And then, as you say, there are there are teams in that we're not even mentioning yet, but are are, are dangerous. You know, like Sheffield. It sounds obscene, but Sheffield Wednesday might kick on at some point. I mean, Palace were basically bottom three at Christmas one year and they ended up going up automatically or via the playoffs wasn't the it Jack? Kit playoffs, Kits, playoffs yeah. yeah Kit Simon's effect yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly and then Reading haven't got started yet either Norwich are coming into form Brentford, I think Norwich is the one to think about Brentford are still there Villa just sort of sat there ominously in the playoffs there are there are teams yeah. that can fall out but equally there are teams that can take their place and we have to be one of them teams well, this is like the most ridiculous thing about the championship that you're, you're talking about you know eight nine teams challenging for for automatics and uh, playoff positions apart from the ones that are already there at yeah. the moment it's it's mental can you imagine that in the premier league oh, we don't know who's going to finish in the top top 4 it could be any one of 10 different teams for example um we just got to hope that a samu signs kind of similar situation happens to all the other teams and they all their talisman gets a uh, Banned for six matches for spitting. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I thought that Lee, when Leeds went three-two up against Millwall with ten men, I was like, "That's their canny moment." I was like, "That's gonna, that's gonna be the catalyst for Leeds to kick on." And it's so interesting how mindsets work. If that goal had gone in in the last minute and Leeds had won three-two with ten men against mm-hmm. a Millwall side who they don't like, uh, you know, that's a big, you know, that would have been a huge result. And you know, there was I was watching on the, on the screen, and it said, you know, Ellen Road is Ellen Road is rocking. Like it was, it, you know, it was literally. You watch it, the highlights, even when that third goal's in, the place explodes. And for them, them to go and lose that game has the potential to be catastrophic for their season. And especially, we know that you know Leeds have a propensity to fall apart, if if you will excuse the use of the song. But they do have a, a propensity to self implode and and to and to make that kind of mistakes and let those things happen and you can see that even with a new manager and even with a host of new players they're still not confident in their own abilities and they should be they've got an excellent squad and and really, some real real danger men in there um Lasoga got another two at the weekend he's a good player yeah. you know Saiz is going to come back Alioski's a good player there's a load of like Roof. very very talented yeah Roof there's a load of very talented players in that lead squad and they just don't have the self-belief and you've got to hope that a similar result you know Fulham win these four games even and then happen to lose to Wolves we just got to hope that the wheels don't come off in a similar fashion and and it's got to be about building those squad but something I wanted to mention and I wanted to throw to the floor if you don't mind how dare you is um, the kind of the the building links between the squad obviously we've mentioned Piazon and Fonte together but interesting that Font went running over to the bench to celebrate with Marcelo Jallo and interesting that Camera went straight over the bench into to see Niskan Cabano and those kind of moments and that kind of you know relationship building within the squad uh, I feel is like completely crucial to the kind of building a run of form and even when things go badly not letting it affect you I don't know if you Maybe it's you. Uh, maybe you got something there, and it might be linked to the fact that because he didn't start Ojo, meant that he didn't start uh, Kamara. Maybe he likes that combination, and he likes the Piazon Rui Font combination. Hmm. So maybe on Saturday he might actually do Ojo and Kamara, for example. I don't know whether that's a, there's something there. I think there's definitely something in that. That if you think that two particular players play well together. I think that's very one hundred percent. And someone logical. said, someone said on Twitter. I'm really sorry for for not crediting properly here, but I, I can't remember who it was. For the life of me that it might be a case of Font being a home striker and Kamara being an away striker, which I thought was a really interesting point, and and, and not necessarily correct or whatever, but just a really interesting thing to think about. 
Niskins and uh, Kamara have bonded mostly over obscure French rap. Yeah, but I'm I'm well into that. That's fine. <laughs> I was I'm just about to say, I reckon Jack knows all of them. I yeah. do like a little bit of obscure French rap. <laughs> I think you absolutely cannot understate the the importance of having good relations in a in a squad. You have to remember that the game is a collective. It's not an individual sport. You you have to you have to be able to work as a unit and have those relationships with every single component of the team in order to work well on the pitch. You have to remember that. That football isn't an individual sport as much as an individual influence can have an effect on the game ultimately is that you are a collective you are one unit and we, we spoke about this uh, at length last year and, and how everyone was friends it was really really nice to see because they were clearly in Fulham squads before we weren't as close as we were last season and even at the start of this season it looked like the playoff hangover was certainly very at the forefront of all of us and um we weren't getting on as well and, and this year now we're coming after Christmas we're getting five wins on the bounce at home we're, we're looking all friendly again and you know it's fantastic you know we are working better as a collective than we did earlier on this season and, and we will reach the heights of, of last season I'm sure um, and we're putting together a good run now Indeed we are. You know, the happiness in the camp, it, it looks better. And even just videos you see of people doing funny things and, and those kind of things that go out on Instagram, um, you know, are, are so important. And just even just fans being able to see that there's that kind of harmony and balance in the squad. And like we said, you know, last year, there there, there can be camps in the, in the squad, but it's fine for there to be camps as long as the camps aren't at war, basically. Yeah. You know, it, it's fine for the French players to all be chilling together and having a good time. And, and then if them listening to obscure French rap is what bonds <laughs> them together and, and helps them to develop, then great. And it doesn't matter that, you know, Ryan Fredericks might not like obscure French rap because, you know, as long as they're working harmoniously, you know, on the pitch and as long as they're happy off it, they're going to get on well. Ryan Fredericks just likes trolling the other players on Twitter and Instagram, I think. Yeah, have you seen, talking of Instagram, have you seen Tom Candy's new house? Oh my it's god, unbelievable. It's amazing. Because <laughs> it was his birthday on Saturday, and I think Happy his girlfriend must have bought him like a ultimate kind of like lad pad room. Yeah, they've, they've basically the he's got like a games room, and the the shirts on the wall around it are absolutely incredible. He's got deco pool? shirts. Deco is I saw Yaya, I saw Yaya, and then and his pool, pool snooker table has Kenny yeah. Tennant. Has the shirt? Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I would quite like a couple of hours in there. Yeah. I've always rated TC, but to have deco shirt on his wall, yeah, it's massive, <laughs> huge. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, speaking of Instagram, just put a nice little uh, boomerang of you guys up there at Fulhamish Pod. And also, just want to uh, get you guys to um, subscribe to us on YouTube. So we tried a new thing on Saturday. We did a team match day experience. The match day experience is very much the uh, in thing to do on YouTube right now. We all film our day at the football and we all have a lovely time. But we... We thought we'd do something a little bit different and get the viewpoints of not just me or just Jack, but to get collective all of our match day experiences into one. And I thought it's a, it's a 12 minute video and actually I thought it uh, all looked rather nice in the end. Yeah, it's very tidy. Well done, Sam. Good edit. So um, get subscribing on YouTube. If you've got a YouTube account, just type in Fulhamish Podcast and then uh, subscribe on there. We'd like to get some big numbers and maybe do some more bits on YouTube generally. We're going to maybe vlog uh, at the Barnsley game on yeah. Saturday and get expanding, some of, get expanding some of, the output. Get some of your opinions at Oakwell. Right, so we've been ranting for a very, very long time. Let's take a little break. We're going to be chatting all things Matty Target after this. Hello, Sammy here. How's it going? Normally in this bit of the podcast, we have a sponsor message, often selling very posh craft beer. But we'd like to find some new sponsors for 2018, and we thought we might put the message out there. We need a sponsor so that we can pay the bills, stuff like the website, buying equipment, and buying ourselves enough beer that numbs the pain of Jack's incessant ranting. If you've got a business and you'd like to advertise to the thousands of Fulham fans that listen to this show every week, give us an email, pod at fulhamish.co.uk. We can have a chat and see what we can do for you. That's pod at fulhamish.co.uk. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still joined by Ben Jarman. Hello. Farrell Monk. Hello. And Secretary Jack Collins. Holla. Right, so uh, we've got some big transfer <laughs> news today. No, not Alexi Sanchez signing for Man United. It is Matty Target signing on loan from Southampton for six months. Uh, left back clearly high up on the priority list. And uh, assuming Matty Target is to start, how will that free up the team? Should we expect to always see Cess now at left wing if Matt Target is deemed suitable for the starting eleven, which is not a guarantee considering how some of our other signings went in the summer? It will allow a doy to be pushed up to left wing. Oh yes, of yeah. course. That's the logical option. Yeah. Free a doy. 
I'm, I think that Cesc will be pushed up to left wing. It's clear it's probably his best position at the moment. And it will obviously mean the impending departure of Rafael Suarez back to Portugal. Do you think that's definitely on the cards, is that his loan now will be... Almost certainly. I think if we've already sent John Graham back to Wolverhampton, then we can definitely send uh, Rafael Suarez back to Porto. So I just wonder why that hasn't happened yet, unless they were just waiting until they 100% had Matty Target Yeah, I, I think it's probably one in, one out, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't mm. sign Matty Target unless there was something happening behind the scenes or he had someone lined up which is why I also think something must be imminent with the release of Michael Maddell because surely we would have someone to bring in to replace him mm. or to like fill that spot yeah of course that was very sad news um, obviously Michael Maddell uh, leaving for was it Rapid Vienne? yeah Austria Vienne Austria Vienne in the end I left a very long and sad and mournful comment on his Instagram post I will miss him it is sad that obviously Michael Maddell hasn't really worked out in the end as well as it could have but he came in at a very unstable time for Fulham in that January and I think was a big part in us staying up that season I really really do and I think we can all thank him for what he did even in just that half a season but I do think it's a shame even though I obviously really rate Reem. I think he's been one of the players of the season and I think that Callas overall is a slightly stronger centre-back um, than Maddle. it just seems a shame that Slavisa didn't choose to use him more in the past year it's a strange one but you know Slavisa has his strange moments where he just decides that certain players don't suit his system wherever it was you know Maddle wasn't he wasn't by, you know, a, a, a hoof-it centre-back by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, maybe Slavisa just decided that his kind of passing quality in that final, in, in that back four, wasn't quite up to scratch. And, it, you know, it is a shame, and I'm I'm sad for him because I really, I really like Michael Maddell, but, you know, you, you have to keep growing and keep going, and, you know, if we can lose Ryan Tunnicliffe, then we can lose Michael Maddell. <laughs> we lost um, Jamie O'Hara. The big man. Lose Maddell. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where, obviously... I think the most the casualty here is kind of maybe morale and team spirit because he was obviously really well liked in the camp um, especially the likes of Bettinelli and Piazza and Absa always always had Maddell around and on their story and Fredericks as well so he might have been one of those players that you know we were saying earlier about camps one of those players that kind of transcended the kind of camps thing and, and really did sort of get on with everybody and he seemed like a really nice guy and people liked him and you know, it's sad to see him gone, but you know we have to we have to keep getting bigger and better and, and hoping for better things. And we didn't discuss Matty Target too much. What will he bring to the side? How much do we know about him? I mean, he's obviously very highly rated by Southampton, and they'll be looking for him to get some game time in order to gain experience that he can boost their maybe championship efforts in the coming seasons if they continue yeah well well we will see what what brings in that way they'll be hoping not but i spoke to chris hughes from a saints fan site called saints marching earlier today and uh, we've got a q a from him about matty target coming out tomorrow so look out for that on the website but basically the consensus I, I believe is that he's still got a lot of potential but he needs to start showing it and so for them they said that this was a massive opportunity for him to actually try and if he can't force his way basically into this Fulham side then he's not going to probably renew at Southampton they think that this is his kind of shot basically at really making it and, and showing that he's worth it because the emergence of Sam McQueen, um, I don't know how much people watch of Southampton, has really you know hampered his potential in terms of in terms of that, and he's ahead of him in the pecking order now, despite being younger. And so there's kind of one of those things where they think that this is this is kind of it for for Matty Target. So very important that he does well on well, this so, loan spell. Well, that's good for us. You yeah, know, if he's, he's he's got a massive point to prove, he's got to prove that he is capable of defending at Championship level before he's capable of proving it at Premiership level. And, you know, this is a massive opportunity for him. And just coming from the Southampton Academy, obviously we know he's going to have the right attitude and pedigree. They they are a very, very good academy and and a very well-run one, and they do produce a lot of talent. So the you'd imagine that the work ethic and kind of attitude thing that Slav's had a problem with before won't be in kind of effect. Well, you, the thing is with Matty Target, though, is that he has played 50 times already for Southampton which is quite a lot for someone who is 22 22 yeah, um, which yeah it's quite a lot so even then you're kind of thinking not established Premier League but that's decent Premier League experience for someone who is quite fairly young um, and you know so in that case we're not just getting an un, we're not getting just a, um, an unproven talent here like maybe a Shea Ojo we're getting someone 
who is actually well a little bit of experience about him he'll, he can easily just slot into probably a lot of teams he had over a thousand minutes for Southampton I think a couple of seasons 15, ago 15-16 yeah 15-16 hasn't, hasn't had many minutes since unfortunately is rated quite highly by the club but at the time wasn't rated particularly highly by Ronald Koeman from, from the comments that I've seen online um, Southampton fans are also being quite vocal in saying that he probably fits a system where he acts as more of an attacking wing back in like a three or five at the back formation which suits us yeah I mean and he's, he's a very good crosser and passer of the ball and I think Nick McNee um, who does some bits for us on, on Fulhamish website put out a really nice uh, radar from him earlier and he has a has a good passing success rate he has a good tackle rate um, nice, nice uh, chance creation rate as well and ultimately he can get a good cross into the box and the way we're playing again now with those low fishing crosses we need someone who's, who's going to be able to deliver them on a consistent basis and to the right targets as well especially when we've got midfielders coming in late into the box once again Interestingly his, um, the kind of view that I got from Chris was um, that yes he's good at crossing the ball and his chance creation is quite good but he's not actually he said he's not actually that comfortable bringing the ball forward with it like you know with his feet as such so but I think we're might going to see someone who maybe crosses a little bit more from deep yeah. uh, and that which it will be interesting to see how that changes how we play and if, if, if that kind of has an effect you know, it'll be really interesting to see how the, the relationship between Target and Sessegnon grows because Sessegnon has a really as we talked about earlier has a really good perception of the game and it's whether they can get on the same wavelengths because if you say that Target doesn't like bringing the ball out with feet as per se we aren't going to see him bursting up the wing with the ball at his feet like Fredericks does so it's going to be more of an in, like an interchange of passes between those two I imagine yeah. so if they get on each other's wavelength pretty quickly it could be really interesting to watch because Sessegnon could drift in to create space for Target as he overlaps and then we can get early balls into the box that'd be quite nice to yeah, see mu- much, like, really see. much like Fredo and Aluko used to have uh, down the right hand side last season mm. was um, was particularly good and they had that relationship where they kind of it was almost telepathic they both yeah. knew where they needed to be all the time you're a big fan of Aluko I don't know I've never heard of him no, you wouldn't have there's guessed a, it would you if you don't mind there's a point here um, about Piazon on the right wing I just wanted to quickly raise um, did anyone notice that Fredericks had his probably his best game of the season on Saturday? And how linked is that to the fact that Piazon's work rate is so much higher defensively than Shea Yojo's because yeah. it gave Fredericks the kind of, you know, yeah, his final ball wasn't great to begin with, but it gave him the opportunity to just go on the overlap time and time and time again. And he didn't have to worry about getting back because he knew that Piazon would cover him. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting to note, if nothing else. Hmm, interesting. Um, just a point on other potential transfers. The one that doesn't seem to be going away is... Um not only Tom Kearney to West Brom, but I actually more meant coming in. Dwight Girl seems to be mentioned quite a lot. Uh, several ITKs here, there and everywhere saying that this is a deal that's looking more and more possible. I still personally feel like it just seems a bit unrealistic to me. I just can't see it happening that we're going to sign Dwight Girl. We're going to pay all that money for him. What's What's the knowledge amongst you three on that well I, I think if you look back to last season it, it sounded like the Gale transfer turned out to be a lot of hot air at the end of the day so and I, I do agree with you Sammy in the sense that it's quite unlikely it will happen we could be all surprised that they could have you know maybe an inquiry is has been made but you know and then people are releasing things oh the inquiry means we're trying to we're actually trying to buy for buy him um, but I think he's I think he's probably being flouted by, by a lot of clubs as well, not just Fulham. He would be a nice addition to the squad, but um, I'm not necessarily sure that he's the sort of player we need, if I'm honest with you. I think we need someone who's going to be able to, to hold the ball up a little better than Gale does, and Kamara can get in behind as well. I know it seems absolutely ludicrous to say because they're not the same sort of quality, but it's also worth noting that Gale was getting quite a, a few minutes for Newcastle at the moment in, in yeah. the Premier League and he scored the other day didn't he Yeah. Um, so I think you know, I, I can't really see it coming off and if it does it's a lot of money and it's a big gamble if we don't go up because uh, it'll be our final year with parachute payments this year won't it yeah it will it, it's a funny one because obviously no one knows quite what the situation is at Newcastle with the takeover and all that kind of stuff so Benitez is getting more and more frustrated about the fact that he can't buy any players and I just can't see him letting Gale go unless he gets someone in to replace him Obviously, he's not Benitez's first choice. Obviously, Hoslu is leading the line for them, but he's an option at the moment. And I think that it, it, it'd be mad for them to let anyone go uh, at the kind of rate they're in. And then, you know, they're not obviously secured staying up by any means or any stretch of the imagination. So 
we'll we'll see. If, if if someone comes in at Newcastle, I think we'd be maybe more likely to to take it seriously. But at this point, I just don't. I can't see why Newcastle would let him go. You know, maybe there are people that know more than us, but it, at the at the moment, I just don't see the rationale between behind Newcastle letting him go. Well, we're going to speak to on Fulhamish Extra this week, which will be available on Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, to Bleach Reports. Uh, Dean Jones, big Fulham fan, uh, and he is kind of their transfer man, uh, as you will. So we're going to speak to Dean uh, a bit about potential transfers, such as Dwight Gale, what he's hearing on the grapevine, but also uh, be interesting to ask him his opinion on Sessegnon and Kearney and. I know I don't think we're going to see them going in January, but what their potential sale value might be in the summer. Just interesting to get a, a, an inside knowledge from Dean, and he's always good value as well. So that will be available on Fulhamish Extra, plus a Barnsley preview with the boys from Red's Report, Chris and Carlo. Uh, so that will be available for you to download on Wednesday. Jack, rustle up the post bag, please. The post bag. Yes, please. Sounds good. We've got a load of messages, some really interesting ones. Um, I'm gonna leave some of the, I'm gonna leave some of the more transfer-based questions. I think for for Thursday, if uh, if people don't mind. Um, yeah, we can ask move. them, Dean. Yeah, I just think it might might make change it out a bit. FFC Dom opened with, "Is Piazon the answer?" Ben, I'm gonna start with you, maybe. What's the question? Is Piazon the answer? To what question? <laughs> <laughs> See what he did there. I think to the whole answer, to life, Ben. Then yes, he's the answer. No, I think Piazon adds something that a lot of our wingers don't. We, I think a, f- a few of our wingers perhaps can be bucketed in the same, um, I guess, segment because a lot of them, uh, you look at Cabano, Aite, Ojo, all of them very, very quick. All of them want to get in behind. All of them have raw, raw pace and raw skill. Um, and they can be seen as a little bit one-dimensional and, and because they all play so wide on the touchline it means that Kamara and Fonte can easily become isolated by centre-backs or or closed down by centre-midfielders. What Piazza really offers is that drifting into central positions as well as finding space out wide. So therefore I think he, he becomes a, a major asset to us and that's the reason why we've brought him back off loan and that's the reason why he's come back and had those fleeting appearances that our results have taken an upturn as well because he's such an intelligent player. He knows where to be, when to be and how to link up to others. So is the answer Piazon? Yes, for me. Copy and paste what Ben just said. Okay. I think I think he's obviously a, a brilliant talent, isn't he? And he just seems like such a positive influence to have um, around the team as well as you, you were alluding to a lot earlier, Jack. Some of the stuff he was doing on Saturday, um, as the commentator on the Channel 5 show said, was Premier League quality. And, you know, that run he made for Piazon, sorry, for Font's first goal, Fulham's first goal, is just class. And he's got so many ornate little touches as well. And also the, um, the overlap he does, which leads to our fourth goal, uh, which then leads to Steph Show shooting, which then leads to Sessegnon's goal. That kind of that kind of stuff can't be taught. That's just absolutely brilliant from Lucas, and and you know he's, he, he's easy to forget. He's only been back three or four games, and he he looks like he's never been gone. Got to say that you know I think it's helped that the actual overall team performances have taken up another level, and obviously he's now shining in that. It's actually people have started to take notice at Chelsea. I was speaking to a colleague of mine who's a Chelsea Antonio. Season. Yes, my colleague Antonio Conte. Uh, no, um, close Bill. Um, <laughs> uh, he he was he's a Chelsea season ticket holder, and he was saying that they've at Chelsea they've started to the fans have started to notice uh, Piazon's performance at, at, at Fulham, and they've actually talked about maybe next season he can possibly break into their team, but then. They were saying that in the style of play and the formation that Chelsea play at the moment, maybe he wouldn't. That its downfall is that he wouldn't be able to fit into that formation. Yeah. He'd have to. He'd also have to assuage Pedro, which is quite an, quite a feat. Before we move on, Piazon has the smallest feet I've ever seen on a professional footballer. Literally, they're tiny. Just what when you mine? watch him, when you watch him, just just have a look. I I think that I just like to add kind of that. I think that Piazon can be an answer, especially when Kearney's missing. I think without a 10, he makes such a difference in there. And even if he was to play more centrally, I think that he would fit into that kind of system. But we, we spoke about that great length last season, especially about when 
we thinking that Kearney might leave and we were like well who could fit in in Kearney's position and we all kind of agreed that Piazon would be the answer to if that was the question but the thing is that against against Burton the, Bettinelli had no shots to deal with for the second week in a row right with without Kearney in the side and I don't think that's I mean, obviously against Middlesbrough, quite a lot of it was wasteful chances. But this week, we were completely dominant. Yes, Burton were bad. But with those three in the middle, they're more industrious and their work rate's higher than when Kearney's there. And obviously in Norwood and McDonald, you have two naturally deeper players uh, as such. And then that's leaving Johansson as a box-to-box. So with that in mind, it means that the front three could potentially be more isolated. But Lucas's drifting compensates for that. And it, it really does change our, the way we play. We look more solid with those three in the, in the midfield. And then with, you know, in big games when Kearney's not there, that is definitely something because we don't feel as isolated as a front three when Kearney's missing, which is something we talked about extensively earlier in the season. So I think that in, in that regard it is. But I'm going to continue going on because otherwise I could stay here forever. Ooh, this is a question. <laughs> I've literally just, it's just come in, like, as we speak, from Tovi Ellison from California. He says... Can you speak to the shirt culture, both at matches and in everyday life for an FFC supporter? Do you buy the shirt every year? Do you wear it to games or is it more a novelty? In America, wearing a shirt is, is like an outward sign you're, the secret, you're in the secret club of football supporters. For example, when I play five-a-side, everyone rocks their colours and I rock my customised 23 Dempsey proudly. I think it's an interesting point about football culture as, as a whole and maybe something we should talk about. For me, I've kind of, I don't know, kind of outgrown the whole football shirt thing. I still buy the odd one if they're on if they're on offer, but I don't, I can't remember the last time I turned up to a football game with a football shirt on. All of you will know this, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know this as well, but I've probably... Wait, which handle is that now, though? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm incognito now. Um, <laughs> for those of you that the, the will know me, I've probably got a collection of around about 40 to 45 shirts of all different styles, nations, colours, teams. It's um, a beautiful collection. It's a wonderful it's, collection. It's, it's something that I held dear and I think I'm in tune with the Americans that when you get it out and you wear a particular shirt, it's, it shows that you are you know, a follower of a particular team. It's really, it makes you proud. You know, If you go to... Um, if you go to Five Aside, for example, and you wear a shirt that no one's ever seen and you get the questions that ask you, how did you get hold of that shirt? Have you ever seen them live? What makes you like this club, for example? And, and you, ha- you have to tell them the backstory and why you like them. Is it a certain player? I think that's massively part of football shirt culture and it, it still happens and people still buy shirts. I mean, I'm, I'm 26 and I've still outlay hundreds of pounds on shirts every year when Neymar signed for Barcelona uh, for PSG the first thing I done was buy a Neymar shirt because I wanted it um, when the new World Cup shirts came out this year the Columbia one I bought it straight away because yeah, I wanted it you know there it's are a lovely clubs, shirt it's a there, really really lovely shirt there, there are clubs that I've, well, I will follow just because I want so Besiktas Athletic Club I will, I will buy them I think football shirt culture here is still massive and it is still one of the big financial yeah, um, like a massive financial revenue for all of the clubs, mm. um, and even in wider society now, there there are people that you would never see wearing a football shirt. Time and like years ago, because they simply aren't interested in football. But now, if you if you go to like festivals, if you go to nights out, if you go anywhere, you will see people walking around in Manchester United shirts, Internationale shirts. You will see people in Germany shirts. The pink Juventus shirt when Drake rocked it. You would go to Wireless Festival that year and every third person was wearing a pink Juventus shirt. It's no, to wear a football shirt now is not for the stadium, it's not for the pitch, it's in the street. And you'll see people like Adidas and Nike pushing this agenda because football shirt culture is massive in the UK now and it's as big as it is over there with American football shirts, ice hockey jerseys, NBA jerseys. People wear them every every day even when they're not playing sport. Weirdly, Sorry for the long I think, answer. No, that's good I do bit, think Sam. it's quite... Uh, go on. No, weirdly, I... I would be more comfortable wearing like a retro shirt from another club than this season's Fulham jersey out and about. I, I've got a really old school PSG top that I wear all the time because I used to live in Paris and I just got a real affinity for them. And it, um, it doesn't even have any reference to PSG. It just says RTL, which yeah. is the uh, talk radio station. Mate, you, only their support, you only support PSG since they've bought Neymar, mate. Stop it. You, we know you're in it for the money. <laughs> all right, mate. Celtic fan over there. I don't know. I don't wear my football shirts to the match. I don't. I don't know why. I normally just wear my Fulham shirt for five aside, but uh, I'm not as into it as Ben. But I do appreciate that. Definitely, you see 
more a more varied nature of just football shirts in and around London than I think you even did five or ten years ago. It has really taken yeah. off the whole classic football shirt culture. There are I, there are many other facets of the game that people now take it upon themselves to collect. So that I've got a friend that that collects miniature footballs from the World Cups. So those size one footballs, mm-hmm. he's got one all the way from the 1994 World Cup up until uh, the last World Cup in 2014, and he'll get one for this World Cup as well. I've got a friend that collects scarves, and I've collected scarves as well. Every city that I go to, I get a scarf of one or, or two of the football teams if they've got multiple. But people people collect everything, from the little figurines to club pendants to football shirts like I do. Football shirt culture and football shirt and football accessories is a massive thing over here and it will continue to grow and it will continue to grow in the US as well as the game develops and more teams expand and uh, and uh, as many clubs in the US are, are doing at the moment, especially the new franchises, they are you know appealing to massive um, Latin American yep. people. I've um yeah I've got just a quiet addendum to add to the end is that I think it's really interesting how people I know that Dom does this occasionally as well wears an old Fulham shirt yeah as in I've got a 1999 2000 shirt that definitely wasn't bought in 99 2000 because I was six um but I I now have and I'm very proud of and it's a really lovely shirt and I wear it quite a lot um but yeah similarly it's a it's a very much a festival slash night out kind of gig for me now and it, those are the kind of places that. I find it really interesting to see who's in what kind of gear and and they are definitely just part of that kind of culture now. Yeah, I've spent a lot of my student loan on retro Fulham shirts. I bought one from like 1993 um, and it's really nice. I think also, I suppose... How much these shirts? That, that was like a fiver. I also bought one How from... How much was your student, student loan? Yeah. That one, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before the Tories came in and ruined everything about student <laughs> loans. Um it was also I also like um, I bought one that was from the promotion season, which I then lost. Someone nabbed it in a pub in Clapham, and I was upset. I was distraught. There was only a couple of years ago as well. Mm. Was so it the Swan? Lost. Sorry. Was it the Swan? It wasn't the Swan. No, no, no. Right, that question has actually taken up most of our post back time, <laughs> so I'm actually going to flip it. One last question. This is a, a shorter one. It's from Tony Sperry, Sparry potentially. I think it's Sperry. Um, he says for the post bag, hi, listen to you every week. Great show. Thanks, Tony. Uh, my question is, is it harder getting promoted or staying in the Premier League? Short answers, I think, please, boys, because we are running out of time. I think it's harder getting promoted. I think to avoid getting, I know it sounds stupid, to avoid getting relegated, you just not need to not be one of the three worst teams. And for so many years, uh, Fulham managed to just kind of be like the fifth or sixth worst team in the league and, and kind of get away with it. And then you're seeing with clubs like Stoke have been there for ages. Sunderland somehow avoided the drop for four years. Can you see them getting out of the championship anytime soon? Yeah, downwards. No. I, yeah, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's got to be getting promoted out the championship is so hard there's 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 10 teams who all realistically could get promoted and wouldn't be you wouldn't be aggrieved if any of them did they all deserve it yeah. for their own reason Ben promotion Harold? promotion because uh, I just feel like in the, when you're in the Premier League it's so it's kind of special and players want to scramble to get into the Premier League so you've got a bigger pool of players wanting to play there whereas in the championship you've got you know, 23 other clubs, all of similar-ish size, relatively speaking, all going for, like, trying to get that one one or two special players and they're much more difficult to find. Good. Well, I'm, I'm going to just concur. And with that, that closes the post bag. Oh. All of the questions for next week, um, for the... Uh, tra- that are related to transfers we're going to do on Thursday. Right, well, thank you very much, Jack. Secretary Jack, as ever, in charge of the post bag. As he said, we'll get onto some of those transfer questions uh, when we speak to Dean on the extra podcast, which will be dropping in your pod shops or whatever you want to call it pod box uh, this Wednesday evening hopefully uh, it will be completely through into your phone in time for Thursday morning so um, Jack I'm hoping as it was such a special performance on Saturday you've got an equally special name for this podcast yeah I thought about calling it the Portuguese connection we're about Rui Font and and Lucas Piazon but I am actually just going to go with Portuguesers because it just makes me quite pleased. As in, ge- as in geezers. Yeah, like Portuguesers. Like, as in, nice. por- speak Portuguese, bloody love London, you know? I think we might have that got the reference. Of, that kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. I like your work, Portuguese Jack. Is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's strong. Very, it's very strong. It's happening. So, as I said, Fulhamish Extra will be back on Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. Do check out our YouTube match day experience with the team, myself, Jack, and Ben, and Dave Preston as well, South African Dave, getting Always involved um, in the match day vlog Absolute as well. So, magic on that Insta story. Dave oh, my Preston. God. The, his Insta story is absolutely brilliant. If you didn't check that out as well, it's still there on you our Instagram. Yeah. Save it as our highlight. It's, it's already done. Get up there. Already done. Make sure you check it out. The man's a genius. So we will be back then for Fulhamish Extra. I've got to stop repeating myself. To Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. To Farrell Monk, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. And Ben Jarman, merci. Obrigado, Sammy. Okay, there we go. See you very soon. Bye-bye.